So as I mentioned, we have a, a great blessing um, this morning to have uh, Fred and Monica Rauschen with us. And, and uh, many of you know Fred and Monica from years ago. We at the church have been uh, partners with Compassion Canada for a lot of years now. Sheen and I, I can't even remember how long. Andrew was just a little kid when we first sponsored our first uh, child with uh, Compassion. And our Sunday school has been sponsoring them uh, for a number of years too. And I know a number of you are, but... Uh, Fred is going to come and speak to now from his heart, as you'll see, about this great ministry. Let's just pray for Fred as he comes, and then he'll speak. Father, we're just so thankful for the opportunity to have Fred and Monica back with us. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd anoint him now as he speaks to us about uh, this, this marvelous opportunity we have to be kingdom livers and to hear from your word through Fred. Uh, thank you now. So speak through him, we pray, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, it is a real joy to be speaking here this morning with you all. Uh, Grand Prairie Church of Christ was uh, our home church for 14 years, from the year 2000 till 2014 when we moved to Edmonton. This church ministered to us deeply as a family. Our son, Matt, was baptized in this church. Our daughter, Rebecca, and her husband, Anthony, were married by Pastor Allen. Our daughter, Rachel, who suffered many health crises over her life, was covered in prayer by the members of this congregation on many occasions. Rachel loved coming to this church. It was the highlight of her week. Monica and I felt loved and cared for by all of you. This morning, I plan to share with you the journey that God has taken me on over the past number of years. And the specific journey that I want to share is about poverty. It is about sharing God's heart for the poor and what he expects of each of us as it relates uh, to the poor. Um, this, the start of this journey was actually birthed right here in this church in, a, in the year 2010. And somewhere in that year, this church held a Compassion Sunday. And uh, uh, when the opportunity arose to sponsor a child, Monica and I thought, what a great opportunity for our daughter, Rachel, writing and communicating to a child in need of the love of Christ could be her ministry. And so Rachel picked an eight-year-old little boy named Jan uh, in the Philippines. And that's a photo of Jan when he was eight years old. The next picture was a Zoom call that we had with Jan and his family uh, about a year ago, uh, just a few weeks before Rachel went home to be with Jesus. Um, Jan uh, is going to graduate from the Compassion Program in about five months. Um, Jan has a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, he is involved in his local church, and he will actually graduate with a degree in IT here at Christmas time. I'm going to come back to Compassion just a little later this morning. Um, as the years progressed from sponsoring Jan, God started to convict me that my heart towards the poor, um, you know, was way offside from his heart for the poor in this world. And so I began to do a bit of a study about poverty. 
And I discovered many things. One of them is, is that there is a lot of scripture that deals with poverty in our Bible. There's about 170 verses that deal with the poor between the Old and the New Testament. And it's a pretty good distribution between those two. So this morning, we're just going to look at a couple from each of the Testaments, beginning uh, with the Old Testament. You know, when God calls out a people to himself, uh, he gives them specific instructions regarding the poor. In Deuteronomy 15, uh, verse 7, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, in any of the towns the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. And then in Leviticus 19, when a foreigner resides among you, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, he specifically commanded them to be generous to their fellow Israelites who had fallen into poverty. And when they had foreigners residing among them, people of different ethnicity, he commands them to treat them as if they were one of their own, so to treat them with generosity as well. What is it about the heart of God that causes him to have such compassion, such concern for the poor? We get answers to this question in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 14, verse 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And again in Proverbs 19, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. God identifies himself with the poor. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? When God's people are kind to the poor, they are ministering to their God. God's heart for the poor does not change as we move into the New Testament. And this morning we will look at two passages. The first one is found in Luke 11. Uh, partway through that chapter. But before we get there, I just want to paint what's going on at the beginning of this chapter, chapter leading up to where we will jump in. Jesus has given us instruction on how to pray. He has driven out a demon. He has been slandered for doing so by being accused of using the power of Satan to do it. He has been challenged to give a sign that he is from God. And he has warned his listeners about walking in darkness. It's a pretty action-packed chapter. And then we get to verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So Jesus went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus had not first washed before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? Jesus makes a clear distinction 
between how these Pharisees were viewing people and how God views people. The Pharisees had a list of rules. Actually, they had a lot of rules. And if one followed those rules, they believed that God would find them acceptable. Some of their rules were about washing before meals, and Jesus had violated their rules. God, on the other hand, is looking at the inside of the person, the condition of the heart. God sees the heart, and in this case, he sees people of greed and wickedness. Now, so far, this is perhaps not too surprising for us today. We might expect Jesus to have said all that we've just read about there. Uh, but then we get to verse 41 and 42. But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Is Jesus giving a couple of extra rules for the Pharisees to add to their long list of rules? Not at all. This becomes clear in verse 42. Jesus addresses the core problem, which is a problem of the heart. They neglect justice and the love of God. If they had God's love and sense of justice within them, they would more naturally be generous to the poor. Those whose lives are touched by God's love will touch others with God's love. Those who have come into a living, loving relationship with God through faith in Jesus will touch others with God's love. This is the supernatural outcome of those who have become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We will reflect God's love to others, and this includes the poor. Jesus was not adding more rules for the Pharisees to follow. He was calling them to recognize their need for a new heart that is changed by God's love, a new heart that Jesus could give them. And out of the new heart transformed by God's love, they would love others, including the poor. We see this again in Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats from Matthew 25. And again, before we get to that passage, I'd like to just paint the background that leads up to this parable. From chapter 21 through 25, we are in the last week before our Lord would be crucified. They, the religious leaders' opposition to Jesus was becoming very intense. They were challenging Jesus' authority. They were looking for a reason to put him to death. The, uh, it, it, it is in this context that we come to this parable of the sheep and the goats. This is the last public teaching. This parable is the last thing Jesus says in public. Two days later, he would be crucified. So we're only going to look at the first half of the parable concerning the sheep this morning. So Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him 
And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Jesus states in the presence of both his disciples as well as those who opposed him that he is coming back to this earth and he's coming in glory. He's coming to reign. When he comes back, the entire army of heaven will be with him. All the angels are coming when he returns. When he comes back, all the inhabitants of the earth are going to be brought before him. And he will divide all people into one of two groups. Carrying on in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, and by the way, they'll be in total shock. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit, visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Just like in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is looking at the outcome of a transformed heart. Here in dividing the sheep and the goats, Jesus does not say to the sheep that they are blessed because they prayed the sinner's prayer. Jesus does not say to the sheep that they are blessed because they believed the right creed. He is saying that they are blessed because out of the transformed heart that God has given them, they are sharing God's love with those around them. Jesus expects us to be on the path of transformation, reflecting his love to others. Those whose lives are touched by God's love will touch others with God's love. Those who come into a living, loving relationship with God through faith in Jesus will touch others with God's love. This is the supernatural outcome of those who have become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We will reflect God's love to others, and this includes the poor. I would like to return to Jesus' reply to his sheep in verse 40, those he's called righteous. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I would like you to imagine something with me for the next minute or so. You might even want to close your eyes as we imagine together. I would like you to picture that in your mind, you are alone in your home. Everyone else is out at the moment. You are sitting down at your kitchen table and you're looking down at your phone. You sense something, 
So you lift your eyes to look across the table, and Jesus is sitting right there, right in front of you. Jesus, the King of the universe, your Lord and Savior, is right in front of you, and he is smiling at you. Jesus calls you by your name and says to you, I have a favor that I would like to ask of you. There is just this one thing I would really appreciate if you'd take care of this for me. Now, I'm pretty sure that you and I are going to have a similar response. Come what may, when Jesus leaves us, we are going to get up from that table and we are going to pour our entire being, all our energy, whatever it takes to fulfill this personal request that Jesus has made of us. And Jesus has actually shown us what that favor is that he would appreciate from us. It is amazing that Jesus so identifies with those in need that when we help them, Jesus says we are ministering to him personally. In our everyday, ordinary lives, we have the opportunity of encountering Jesus in the people we meet who are in need. We have the opportunity of ministering to Jesus if God graces us to see the people that cross our paths through his eyes. You know, for several years I have prayed, Lord, help me to see others through your eyes. And it's only been in the last few months that I realized that that prayer's incomplete. And so now I'm trying to pray, Lord, help me to see others through your eyes. And Lord, help me to see you in the eyes of others. All of us here today who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ are in the process of being transformed by God's love to reflect Jesus, to reflect his love, to reflect our Lord and Savior. This is God's ultimate calling on each one of our lives. Many of us know Romans 8.28 by heart. It is a famous verse and it has a great promise. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How amazing that in all the things in life that we experience, that God is working for our good. But do we know how to define good? The definition of good is actually found in the next verse, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God wants us to become more and more like his son, Jesus. Those whose lives are touched by God's love will touch others with God's love. Those who come into a living, loving relationship with God through faith in Jesus will touch others with God's love. This is the supernatural outcome of those who have become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We will reflect God's love to others, and this includes the poor. So how do we cooperate with God in this process of transformation, of becoming more and more like Jesus? 
One of the clearest passages that answers this question is also found in the book of Romans. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is calling into mind all that God has done for us as it is laid out in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, when he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, he's saying, therefore, in view of what I've just unpacked for you in these 11 chapters, here's how you should respond. It should be one of submitting ourselves to him and asking him, God, please help me, change me, so I become more and more like Jesus. The, the uh, a verb that uh, is here to offer is in kind of the continuous present tense. It is something that we're to do ongoing every day in our lives. And what happens as we begin to cooperate with our God in this and allow his spirit to change us? We will more and more live out the parable of the sheep. We will feed the hungry. We will quench the thirst of the thirsty. We will welcome in the stranger clothe those who lack clothing, take care of the sick, and visit those who are in prison. This is the outcome of a transformed heart. I would like to share an experience with you this morning that Monica and I had where we saw not just a few, but many, many transformed lives who were reflecting Jesus. We were blessed to join Compassion Canada on a field trip to the Dominican Republic in February of this year. Monica and I experienced five full days visiting four churches that have partnered with Compassion, the communities that they serve, as well as the Compassion National Office in the Dominican Republic. Compassion's mission statement is to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. Compassion partners with local churches to enable them to nurture, nurture children from birth through their formative years and into adulthood. And we have seen with our own eyes that at every stage the gospel is shared, people are discipled, physical needs are met, lives are transformed, and communities are changed. We were privileged to see all four major strategies that Compassion employs to achieve their mission. One mission is the child, or one strategy, pardon me, is the child survival program. And the child survival program focuses on moms and babies in the first year of their baby's lives. Sometimes this support is even offered when the child is still in the womb. Extreme poverty has led to very high teen pregnancy rates, and these new moms need coaching in basic parenting skills, baby nutrition, baby health, their own health, their own emotional needs, and their spiritual needs. We met a young mom who experienced seizures due to very high blood pressure when she was five months pregnant. The local church became aware of her and with compassion support got medical attention to her. The doctors told her 
that she would not survive to term. And because she lacked the resources, the money, to be able to buy the medications that she would need, they recommended an abortion. Sorry. The church committed to walk beside this young mom all the way if she'd keep that child. Uh, So they paid for medications, doctor's visits, extra nutrition. When the mom was seven months pregnant, the doctors were still concerned, despite all that they were doing medically, about mom and baby's health. And so at that point, they recommended a cesarean because the baby's lungs would be well enough developed now to survive outside the womb. The church, with compassion, paid all the costs. <coughs> Sorry. The little baby was three pounds when born and required extra medical support. The local church, with compassion's resources, have stayed close by them all the way. We met this young mom when her baby was five months old. The mom and baby were healthy. I got to hold this little girl in my arms whose life had been spared and now has hope in the compassion program. And I was moved to tears quite a bit more than what I'm trying to hold back right now. It was most moving. The second strategy we witnessed at another church center was a water filtration project. In their particular community, 44% of the population suffered from waterborne diseases. Now, waterborne diseases are tough on the whole population, but for babies and young children, there's a much greater chance that it'll be lethal. The water comes from groundwater wells Uh, But the sewage from the homes goes into that same groundwater surrounding these wells, creating a huge risk for contamination. This project eliminated waterborne diseases for 300 families. (laughs) The third strategy we witnessed at two church centers was youth development to equip young people with the knowledge and skills to make a living as they enter adult life. We saw computer labs, sewing rooms to teach uh, skills to make clothing, spaces to learn cell phone repair skills, kitchens to teach cooking and baking skills. The fourth strategy that we saw at every church center is the child sponsorship program. And child sponsorship is the core strategy of Compassion's partnership with local churches. Every Compassion Partnership local church will have a child sponsorship program. We saw classroom upon classroom with healthy children who receive food, school uniforms, teaching to bolster the education from government schools, safe places to play and socialize, and biblical Jesus-centered teaching. When there is illness, the children get access to medical treatment. These children live in tough communities where drugs, gangs, and violence are common. Monica and I saw firsthand as we toured the communities around these churches and saw the homes that these kids live in, 
just the utter poverty. Uh, and this poverty grinds children and adults down to a place of hopelessness and despair, to a place where they see themselves and others as worthless. These children come into these church centers where the tutors truly love them and consistently reflect into their lives that they do matter, that they are made in God's image, and that God loves them, and that God has a plan for their lives that is full of hope. On our field trip with compassion, we have looked into the eyes of so many children who are in the sponsorship program. And it seems to Monica and myself that like the parable of the sheep, Jesus was identified with them. They were hungry and thirsty, but now satisfied. They were strangers and are now included in God's family. They needed clothes, and now they are clothed. Some of them were sick, and now they're taken care of. They were all trapped in prison, in a prison of hopeless poverty, but now they have hope. If we believe Jesus' words in this parable, to see them in their need is to see Jesus. And Monica and I felt that when we looked into the eyes of these children, we could see Jesus looking back at us. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We also heard the stories of mentors, pastors, compassion employees, and other adults who themselves were children that grew up in abject poverty who entered the child sponsorship program. Compassion calls these graduates of the child sponsorship program alumni. They will tell you over and over again, the love of Jesus changed their lives. They are now making a living and supporting their families. Many in this group are giving their lives back into the next generation of children as leaders in the child sponsorship program. They are the hands, feet, and mouthpiece of Jesus who radiantly reflect their Lord. We were humbled to see their devotion to Jesus Christ. I would like us to watch a two-minute video together so you can hear firsthand from some of these alumni what the Compassion Sponsorship Program did for them and how Jesus used that to change their lives. Let's watch together. It has been 21 years since I graduated from the Compassion Center. But it was a great moment of my life when I learned that someone, somewhere, is my sponsor. At first it was unbelievable that somebody wanted to help us. People told us that we will never be somebody in this life. Not one person I knew believed in me, and poverty was my forever reality. Which changed tremendously when I registered with compassion. We knew for sure we will be receiving practical benefits like food, medical care, school supplies, and new uniforms every year. But it was actually more than that. There were some things we didn't expect. Learning about Jesus changed my perspective and helped me make good decisions. 
or see my church reach out to my community and see it change. Encouragement, mentorship, offer during center days. To have somebody championing for you, that was beautiful. If only you knew how your prayers made a huge difference. From not being expected to complete primary school, I now teach in one of the best schools in inner city London. I work in the community. I serve in community development capacities. Jesus save us and save my dad. I want you to know it made a difference. My family's life has changed for the better. Knowing that someone cares for you, it changes you. Ten years ago, when you stood beside me as the best man in my wedding, it was one of the highlights of my life. Thank you for pouring into me and sponsoring me. I always know that someone has got my back. That's how I felt the love of Jesus. It was through my sponsors. They give me this confidence that I am somebody. The ministry of compassion is truly changing lives for eternity. Compassion is advancing God's kingdom, just like Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The United Nations has calculated that in the year 2021, 715 million people lived in extreme poverty. That number is actually expected to be much higher in 2023 because of the economic impact of the pandemic. But 715 million people live on less than $1.90 per day. Worldwide, Compassion is working with 8,300 local churches in 27 countries to care for 2.2 million impoverished children in their communities. Yet there is so much more that needs to be done and can be done if more children can be brought into Compassion's child sponsorship program. On the table in the foyer are sponsorship packets. Most of you saw them as you came in. Each sponsorship packet has the photograph of a child in desperate need of being shown the love of Jesus. The cost is $47 a month. The benefits are huge. God's kingdom will grow. A child's life will be changed. You will have the opportunity to minister to Jesus Christ. You and I may not be able to change the whole world, but we can absolutely change the world for one child. You may already be sponsoring a child through compassion. Perhaps God is, is asking you to sponsor another one. I have shared with you about God's desire to make us more and more like Jesus. Sponsoring a child through compassion is one way that this could happen. I am asking that as you go by the table in the foyer, that you take the time to look at the photographs of the children and that you look at their eyes. Give the Spirit of God the opportunity to show you the eyes of Jesus. 
Those whose lives are touched by God's love will touch others with God's love. Those who come into a living, loving relationship with God through faith in Jesus will touch others with God's love. This is the supernatural outcome of those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We will reflect God's love to others, and this includes the poor. As you heard on the video, the letters sponsors write to their sponsored children can have an incredible impact. As a sponsor, you can be involved in your sponsored child's life through letter writing, if you have the time. If you have children or grandchildren, you can involve them in your communication with your sponsor child. It is a great opportunity for your children or grandchildren to have the gift of a broader world perspective and the gift of seeing poverty through the eyes of Jesus. I have been so eager to share with all of you this morning about this work of compassion. We are convinced that God's kingdom is advancing through their work. We are convinced that through compassion, God's kingdom will continue to grow, that children's lives will be changed, and that Jesus will be ministered to. We are convinced to the point of altering our life goals and priorities to be more involved in Compassion's ministry. Compassion's child sponsorship program is a great opportunity for God's people to join God on his mission. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share with you this morning. God bless you all. Thanks, Fred. Let's uh, take a, a moment or two to pray, shall we? So, Lord Jesus, uh, hear our hearts. And uh, as Fred shared with us, we have been touched by your love, Jesus, and when that happens, our hearts are changed, and we have the opportunity to touch others with your love. So here are our hearts. We're all in different circumstances and places, and um, we know that uh, all of us can do different things and are called to different ministries, but here's an opportunity to transform lives in a very practical way. So here are our hearts. And if it is right, lay upon us some involvement or more involvement with these ones, these children that you say, let them come to me. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit, without guilt, without pressure, without any of those things, but be looking for you to transform our hearts and be your instruments.